What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. things to do with my money. Welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me, of course, is the rookie, Chris Dashu. Hello, ghost. My name is Chris Dashu. And joining us from another precinct is the one and only Mr. Richard Adam. God, I was trying to do a, a Levitt impression, but I just, I, I, I don't have it yet. I just wanted to serve it right up to you guys because I know he's your favorite character. Oh, right. Yeah. Are you wow. warming up just to right him? right out of the gate. Are you warming up to him? Warming up as if you left it out on the sun to warm up as opposed to sticking it in the microwave. Guys, he's a he's a, a sweet, weird little man. The goodwill toward Levitt in one of these episodes might have rubbed off on me a little bit. Yeah, agreed. Okay, okay. We are talking about three episodes from January of 1978. The Ghost, directed by Lee Bernardi and written by Reinhold Ouija. Appendicitis, directed by Noam Pitlick and written by Tony Sheehan. And Rape, directed by Noam Pitlick and written by Dennis Koenig. From January 26, 1978. And I guess let's talk about Ghost. Let, let's save the best for last, shall we? Let's talk about Port Kenneth Tigar being plagued again by the supernatural. He's not going to turn into a werewolf this time, ladies and gentlemen. He's playing a different character who is now besieged by a poltergeist. I recognized him from the werewolf episode, but then I wasn't sure if if he was playing Kopechny or he was not playing Kopechny. And I don't think he was playing Kopechny, but then he comes back a third time as a guy who's possessed, doesn't he? He definitely was into the supernatural when it came to the Barney Miller reverse. But he's only playing the same character two of those three times. Is that correct? I think you might be right. When they brought him in... In this episode, they weren't like, it's uh, Kopechny again. This time, he's not a werewolf. This time, he's got a ghost. They're not doing that whole routine. It's just like, here's a guy. He has a problem. But he's very recognizable and very good. I really like him as an actor. He's got sort of a Paul Rudd quality to it. Speaking of Paul Rudd, he went toe-to-toe with uh, Loki in The Avengers. That's where most most people will know him like most l- lay people will know him uh, is that the, right is he yeah, still he, alive oh, yeah. and acting oh yeah 
He was on billions as recently as this year, and he was a series regular, it would seem, or a series player on House of Cards, you know, the quality of that show being what it was, but he was on that show. The House of Cards, the uh, the, the Netflix show. Yeah. That's weird, because I, wa- I, I watched at least a season or so of that, and I don't remember it, but okay, okay. Yeah, okay. he was on it several times. Yeah, he's still acting, was on uh, another connection. He was on Man in the High Castle, where he played, of all characters, Heinrich Himmler. Yeah, Frank's a little Frank Spotnitz connection there. Old. He has been in let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six episodes of Barney Miller. We've talked about now. This will be the third. He comes back, yep, as Jesus Christ in the photographer, Phil Pollock in the psychic, and Stefan Kopechny as in possession. And then he was, yeah, okay, so he was. Kopechny in Werewolf. So way uh, in 1981, he'll come back as the same character. And then he was Fletcher in Massage Parlor. We probably talked about it last time I was on. Going back to the same character actors to either reprise a role or play a completely different role and really no rhyme or reason to the chronology of any of this. And in the 70s, you watch TV and you were like, fine. But then it's weird that they do. They do are going to bring him back as a character he's played before. It is kind of strange. It's a little it strange. A little. It's, it's a little strange. Like they want to have it both ways. But like I, at this point, like you said, like TV is a, is in such a unique spot that like nobody cares. Like who gives a shit about continuity? Like these shows are being made to be on syndication and then they would go on syndication and then they would kill and they still kill to this day. So like nobody is sitting and going, well, Kenneth Teagar was in this episode as this character. Like that's a, that's a modern day thing. That's a us problem, not a show problem. The greater burden to create a reality, like whatever your show is, even if your show is, has werewolves and vampires, there has to be this interior reality to the show. The, the like yarns have to world. be straight from A to B to C. It has to make logical sense. No one is just watching like, oh, it's just you know, it's just a TV show and this week it's this and who cares. Which is doing. why they go and like they do things like mentioning Wentworth still like on the board or the, the mic joke that we always bring up. Like the show does attempt to create a larger world around the characters than other shows do. It's trying. It's not just going, this precinct exists on a soundstage. People are coming in and out for laughs. Like, they're trying to make us believe that this is a building in New York somewhere with like Levitt coming up from, you know, the beneath, from the other police officers. Like, they try. They really do. And to whatever degree they're doing it, they're doing it probably more than other shows. Maybe MASH had to do that, sort of. Mash also would recycle a lot of character actors as well, including Titos Vandes, who plays Demetrio Stefanos in this one, the uh, poor Greek guy who is getting his green card because he married a prostitute, I guess. A cheap hooker, according to Wojohowicz. My God, what an asshole! On <laughs> hookers change. Remember, he he paid a lady a bunch of money in like one of the earliest episodes. Remember, we were talking about Wojohowicz becoming a more mature character, and then all of a sudden it's like Wojohowicz the regression. Like, what the fuck, dude? You're an asshole! All of a sudden, yes, his character does evolve, maybe more than any other character on the page. But this weird misogyny and and this sort of like. Madonna whore complex he has like like he clearly like he'll go to a prostitute but he hates prostitutes and he he does have a complicated relationship with women because he's you know the macho 
cop or whatever. It, it's, it is a little weird to watch. He clearly is angry at the woman in this episode. So dismissive. And he's like, I'm not mincing any words. Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, you were not this character two episodes ago. Like, back it up a little bit. Come on. Like, it's, I don't know. It, we, like, we've been talking about, like, his, like you mentioned, Richard, his character has grown a fair amount. And this is just backwards, like, Sisyphean tasks. Like, the ball is rolled back over you. Like, what the fuck, man? I don't understand. Well, it also wasn't, it, it was a, you know, third tier concern for the episode. It wasn't really about Wojo's relationship with her. It was about her relationship with this guy. It, it's sort of two things going on at once. An, an escort, a sex worker marries a older Greek gentleman to secure him a green card and citizenship in the United States. But the unintended consequence of this is that he seems to be showing interest in her. And by attempting to establish a legitimate romantic relationship with her, ends up interfering with her business life, which is rotating through a bunch of Johns as quickly as possible so she can make money. So she sees his romantic overtures as a big problem. And so she's got a problem and he's got a problem. And then it's a legal problem because of the green card. So, I mean, I, again, in typical Barney Miller fashion, some fairly sophisticated, interesting storytelling going on. Caroline McWilliams is the only one timer in this episode. Everybody else has been on here multiple times, including Nehemia Parasov, who plays the person from the State Department who comes in to verify this whole thing with the green card. And it's much easier in this episode than it was for Andy McDowell and Gerard Depardieu in the film Green Card. God bless you, sir. And he actually comes back two more times as the same character the next two times. Oh, nice. I remember him playing a, um, a rabbi in the riot episode. His uh, It's Nehemiah Persoff. And Thank you. He, he was a big 70s. He showed up. He was one of those guys you saw in everything. I love him coming in and quizzing so many of the guys on their um, their heritage, especially when he gets to uh, Dietrich. That, that whole thing of, what was it? Your mother was Albanian and your father, dead. And before that, alive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Landisberg is just the best character on this show. And they are continuing with this whole thing of him and Harris uh, hating each other and and living together, yeah, as roommates. I love that, that we have an actual thread through this. That is not just something that you drop every episode. I did want to mention Nehemiah Persoff. I know him as Papa Mouskowitz from An American Tale. For oh, yeah. He was big voice actor. Yeah. yeah. For those of you that are into – the immigrant story is told with mice by Steven Spielberg. That's the film for you. Oddly specific film, but it, it does exist if you want to watch it. Not to be confused with Fightful Goes West, which is its own thing. Where you get John Cleese as a mouse, I, correct? I think so, yeah. It's a big English dandy. I remember him rolling cigarettes, uh, you know, smoke because mice like to smoke of course. like everybody else. You know, just like anything else. I, I love Tito's Vandis in this episode. He's one of my favorite, like, Characters from this show that I will remember as this kind of like horny Greek guy, which is kind of the character that he plays in Fletch Lives uh, at the beginning of the movie as the yeah, I when I saw him on screen, I was like, that is the old guy from Fletch Lives. And then when I looked on his credit, I was like, that is the old guy from Fletch Lives at the beginning who and I kid you not mistakes Chevy Chase in 
a drag for an actual woman. And he's like, what's your name, sweetheart? It's like, there is no way you mistook Chevy Chase for anything other than Chevy Chase in a wig. This, 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 you're, you're talking about classic comedy. I mean, this oh, goes sorry. Back to the, the, sorry. The, 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 the Stone Age camp skits. The vaudeville circuit. I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> he was uh, Jacinto Escobar in the Vigilante episode where he was uh, hunting down people, kind of uh, doing the police's job for them. There's also a storyline like that in an episode we're going to discuss entitled Appendicitis. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. But this man was more, not necessarily Bernard getsing it, but uh, he was definitely like, hey, the cops are way too busy. I'm going to help take care of things. So, yeah, it is very similar to what we're going to talk about in the next episode. Their definition of poltergeist isn't exactly correct. Oh, I was going to say, Richard, of all the times to have you on the show, this is a good time. Given that your your side interests and my side interests align very much with the title of the episode, eh? Exactly. Like you know, I'm no doubt Chris could cover this, but you know, since you brought me on as a consultant, I feel that it is you know incumbent upon me to comment on the the notion that yes, physical phenomenon might occur in a poltergeist case. It might follow a person outside of their primary location, that phenomena can go with a person. Uh, the fact that it's a, you know, not middle-aged, but, you know, 30-year-old man is not, you know, common, but it could happen. But at a certain point when he's in the cell, he's named the poltergeist Julius. Apparently the ghost has an identity and then the ghost starts physically attacking him. Now that crosses a line of reality that I cannot condone. But the hat rack was just too much for me. <laughs> no, the, that cell, that scene in the cell was a little much. The hat rack was, I thought the hat rack and those kind of things, that's like fun. It's like give the audience a little like maybe, who knows. But yeah, the stuff in the cell was... It was more like the werewolf stuff. It was essentially like, put Kenneth Teagar in a cell and just say, be wacky for five minutes. Like Exactly. Well, and, and you can, with the werewolf, you can do it. With possession, you can do it. But with the ghost thing, it's like, well, really, it should just be weird things falling off people's Right. Desks. The cell door opens on its own. Like, don't have him get attacked. Like, I honestly thought towards the end of the episode, once, you know, he's taken off and quote, the banana boat, which is, Harris is just so goddamn mean. I love it. Something falls off of Barney's desk at the end. I really thought they kept showing the cell door in the back and it was open. I was like, oh shit, the cell door is going to close or something. And it's like, it happens off screen. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, who cares? Who cares in this show? Put a little fucking fishing wire and pull that thing. Come on. You could do it. Mean, what's, the, what's the harm? They essentially already did it with the coat rack falling over. Well, what they did was they, they changed it from being a poltergeist joke to sort of being a Dietrich joke. Dietrich looking in and going, hey, how are you? Right. Um, Hi, I'm Arthur. And walking <laughs> yeah. in and you're like, okay, it, now the joke is, is it just Dietrich being a weirdo again? Like, what are we more scared of, the ghost or Dietrich's behavior? <laughs> Why not both, frankly? For losing a Vagoda, which not dead at this time, but not on the show, Steve Landisberg has really uh, stood up and decided to make a character really memorable in, in a Vagoda's stead. Because again, Fish is a memorable character, obviously. But uh, Dietrich, I would think, is is verging on being just as memorable, at least for me. Well, and he's also very memorable in the next episode, Appendicitis, where uh, they arrest a man who has stolen breakfast items or, or dessert items, I should say. 
he hates sugar, but yet he's addicted to sugar. Of course, they try to lead us to believe that he's talking about cocaine at first, but he is just as addicted to sugar as somebody else might be to cocaine. And of course, Landisberg, uh, Dietrich has to give him a whole history of, uh, cane sugar and processing and all this. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I love just him pontificating away to, uh, the guy in the cell. You're saying I'm not crazy? No. Sugar has been around forever. <laughs> this episode is named after what happens to poor Nick, which is kind of scary when you realize that Nick isn't going to be with us for too much longer. I mean, on Earth, that is. Yeah. In 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 reality. <laughs> Not only that, but isn't it the second time his life is in danger? He gets shot in the cheek. Have we have we hit that episode yet? I remember that. Yeah, that was a while ago. Remember, but it's not the, it's not this cheek. It's the ass cheek. Yeah, I and, remember and that. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's two episodes where they're where they're picking up the phone really fast, and Hal Linden's like, "How is he? How is he?" And everyone is standing around listening, waiting to find out how Yamana is, and then oh, he's gonna be okay. Oh, oh thank God, thank God. You know, yeah, it was a little. Uh, but this one, we really see it. I mean, they they got to. Uh, you got to put him on Wojo's desk, which was a great gag. The way that. Oh, I loved when he cleaned off the desk. Yeah, that Clean was off nice. Your desk. He just lifts it up. I mean, that's pretty great. And Barney has to feel bad because Barney thought he was making it up. Thought he was sleeping on the job. Didn't Yamana in the very first moments of the episode tell Wojo pretty clearly that he's having stomach pain? Right. Yeah. He's like, I'm having pain right like, down oh, here. Yeah, well, yeah, oh, you ate something, you know, didn't agree with you, fish, oh, was it bad? No, cooked. You know, Wojo should be feeling bad. He was told explicitly that his stomach was hurting and did nothing about it except set up a stereotypical joke about Asian people. Well, let's just say the show is not above those kinds of jokes, I mean. Oh, no, no. I mean, come on. It was the 70s. That's what you did. That was considered, that's the, I mean, I, I think about this all the time. Because that's what the 70s was. The 70s was, we have reached a point of sophistication in the national discourse about race that, that the, the badge of honor of sophistication is to openly make those jokes either about yourself and your own ethnicity or among a close group of people you can you can make or acknowledge those jokes because we are now beyond assuming they're true. We all know that they're jokes. So now you can make those jokes. Now that, of course, which seemed just breathtakingly modern at the time when we saw it in All in the Family and the Jeffersons and, and, and in a different way on Barney Miller, is now considered so regressive and so unacceptable. It's like, no, now the badge of honor is you would never make those jokes or those comments at all on any level, in many ways, even about yourself. I guess I'm more used to the old stuff just because I grew up in that world. I think the last – and it's because I've been watching it incessantly. Okay, so you know, I just spent the last two weeks in Toronto – as I'm sure you guys all know, and the listeners are dying to hear me talk about the fact that season four of Titans coming up. Uh, so we were just beginning to film. So I would go back to my hotel room every night and my big activity was getting on my computer and watching 30 Rock reruns. 30 Rock was not that long ago. Like we're talking 10, 15 years ago. 
at most. And I think it's the last show that did a lot of jokes about race. I mean, tons. Oh yeah, of, all the tra- all the Tracy Jordan stuff. Oh my god. The Tracy Jordan stuff and beyond. And it's not even like, oh, that hasn't aged well. It ages great. It's a hilarious show. And it's dealing with race from, a again, a place of, oh, look at the casual racism in the workplace, even among people who consider themselves liberal. That That is the the sort of section of the playground they're playing in. And they they play it brilliantly. It could not exist now. There are jokes that are just like, oh my God, that, I mean, I consider that a very modern show could not exist now, um, but still very, very funny. <laughs> I was going to say, I still consider it a funny show. It's like Barney Miller's funny. The stuff in this episode, you know, like you've mentioned, Richard, some of the casual racism, and there's been less than casual. I mean, we had the Detective Scanlon character as a abhorrent racist in this show. There's always a laugh track underneath it. We will get there. Oh, well, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. I'm just preparing the audience for the laugh track is about to the laugh track is about to really um, work against the show. Yep. It's going to work against the show in a in a way that you would not expect. But I'm pointing out now because the laugh track is here for those, quote, racist jokes. Again, they're jokes about stereotypes. That's all it really is. Like you said, Richard, it's a joke about a stereotype. When it's directed at someone of that race, then it becomes racist. But it's a joke about a stereotype. You know, then you have that being mate. I don't know how lazy or anything else it is. It kind of takes the piss out of said stereotype. Yeah, y- Yamana makes jokes about himself in terms of being Asian American. And people within the world of the show make fun of him based on his coffee and his filing system, but there is that betting, one episode. And his gambling. And his gambling. Right, which all come into play in this episode. Yeah. All come into play. But there is that one episode Except for the coffee. Doesn't the They didn't even mention oh, wait. They didn't even mention the coffee in the last episode when they had the ability to mention the coffee when she went to go fix herself a cup of coffee. They didn't even mention it. Yamana like looks at her but nothing doesn't say anything. Which was kinda strange. There's the one episode where he's cooking shabu shabu mm-hmm. on the hot plate, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, what's that horrible smell?" So there's a little bit of, you know, culture phobia going on in in that episode, but it does have a very funny punchline where because they're like, "Oh my god, it smells like garbage." They're like, how could you say that? Uh, we got a uh, there's a fish heads and uh, a carrot tops and uh, potato peels. My God, it is garbage. It's a cell phone, but it it was, uh, it's funny and about as close to, again, kind of dunking on a culture that, uh, among our main people, you know. Well, and we alluded to this one earlier, but this one has Jack Bernardi as Abel Kleiner, who I love how he just comes into the precinct, just walks right over to the most wanted board and starts looking at different people and their bounties. He's a modern day bounty hunter, this tiny little guy who is actually shorter than Levitt, which I love that. You know, I mentioned uh, at the beginning that he was kind of rubbing off on me a little bit in this, and this is the episode. This is when all of the uh, the guys in the precinct are just like, hey, he's kind of cute, isn't he? Because he's trying to come in there and uh, talk to Barney about his service record while Nick is 
having this appendicitis attack, uh, but Levitt just doesn't give a shit. Uh, and then eventually he gets hooked up with uh, Abel Kleiner and they go out and arrest Victor Jurassic, played by Nick Clark, who is a, a very bad man hanging out in New York that um, Kleiner just happens to recognize and they arrest him. Uh, Levitt helps out and brings him back and then turns down uh, any part of the reward. Um, it very clearly in earshot of uh, Barney. Jurassic spelled with one S, Richard, before you ask. Yes. <laughs> I was like, wait, they really are saying Jurassic. They sure are saying Jurassic. <clears throat> it's kind of quite a, a, a name. Cool name. That's a cool yeah, name. Victor Jurassic. Yeah. Abel Jurassic. Kleiner is a great name, too. Kopechny. They had some great names, you know, on. on Jack Bernardi is Abel Kleiner is pretty great. I would let that guy roam around my neighborhood looking for the scum, the wanted poster scum. But he's not like he's not tracking people down and physically like he's not carrying a gun and, and no, he's just like they're arrest. there. Cops go get him. He's gonna I. In other words, he's the guy who looks at the milk carton really carefully. He ID. Oh, he yeah. IDs. Yeah. Them. Okay. He IDs them. All right. Yeah. Because right, again, yeah. you know, cops of the seventies or even now, like they don't share all that information. And I like how he calls them out. He's like, "Well, that one up there, he's been caught for four months." But, you know, you guys are the experts. In the ghost episode and now in appendicitis, and maybe I'm just forgetting, maybe this is this is more in the mode of Barney Miller. They don't take the concept to the next level. Like, like at a certain point, I'm like, it, are, is something like, is, is Nick going to go into some sort of crisis and they're all going to have to like, oh my God, we've got to do something right now. And it's going to turn into a comedy set piece that never happens. They get him on a stretcher. They get him out. He, he recovers the poltergeist. Is it going to turn into a big comic set piece like the werewolf episode sort of does? No, you know, it goes to third base, but never go tries for the home run. Which maybe is more the Barney Miller style. I think it's also a little bit of always having an ABC plot plus the half an hour. You got to shove a lot of stuff into this. Yeah. And they don't go for the goofy stuff. They go for the character stuff. So it's like, yeah, rather than having them all run around, like they do a little bit of the go get something cold. Okay. I got popsicles. They do a little bit of it, just enough. And then it's like, okay, we're done though. We're not, no one's giving birth in the back of a cab. You know? Yeah. It, it's, it would seem that the show has moved more into character driven comedy as opposed to being a straight up sitcom, which leads yeah. us to the next episode. Oh boy. You want to go there. Huh? I don't want to go there. And I don't even want to say the title of the episode again, ladies and gentlemen, it's the R word. It's the word that you're thinking of that would get you demonetized if you said it on YouTube. And yes, that's a real thing. Uh, so this episode. Oh my God. On a very special Barney Miller. I was so happy to see Joyce Jameson, who I mostly know as one of the three reporters from Death Race 2000. She's fantastic. Her husband, uh, played by Michael Pataki, I mostly know him as Myron Count Malachi of the Malachi Crunch fame from Happy Days. Great voice actor, also shows up in a bunch of stuff, including uh, the in incredible Jailbait Babysitter from 1977. But in this, he is married. Uh, Marvin Lindsay is married to Catherine Lindsay. And the A story of this episode is that 
she is a victim of spousal rape. And in 1978, when this came out, that was still very much a odd thing to talk about. It was not necessarily recognized as being illegal. And it was the subject of many, many laughs through this whole thing. And my God, my skin was crawling watching this. And this isn't just coming from some, you know, hipster, wokester type dude from 2022. It was really tough to watch as a 50-year-old man watching this thing from when I grew up. Man, did this not age right at all. You hit on something that I think is central to this episode and the way it's consumed. If you had a little dial at home on your television where you could turn off the laugh track if you wanted to, in a weird way, I think that would solve 50% of the story's problems. Because again, I think on the page, they're not sniggering at her. They're genuinely being people of their era where they're like, well, we're not laughing you out of here. We're just trying to get a handle on the actual legality of of what just happened. Like no one is saying you shouldn't be here, but is that illegal? We actually don't know. And then, of course, they bring in. Okay, so the guy walks in who is the husband's lawyer. By the way, that struck me as very weird. The husband looks like he works in a sewer, and this lawyer comes in in a three-piece suit, looks like he charges about 600 bucks an hour. I'm like, was this, he's got this guy on retainer? Very, very rich sewer, Richard. <laughs> that was weird. Then they bring in the, the district or the assistant district attorney, and in what for the time was a very smart bit of writing – it's a female district attorney who 100% is like, yes, this is rape. Just because you're married, you're not allowed to force yourself on your partner. And she's basically the spokesman for that point of view. So again, if it had just played out without a laugh track, it would have been an interesting window into a question that was a live question in 1978. I completely agree because I was really trying to pay attention. You know, we talked about Wojohowicz having the bad things to say about the prostitute in the first episode we discussed in this episode. But yeah, it's not Hal Linden as Barney Miller going, well, I just don't see the problem with this. Nobody says, I don't see the problem with this. They not even all, Wojo. No, they're yeah, all confused they, more than anything they're else. They're very confused. Yeah. And, you know, I think Dietrich talks about, you know, the traditional history of women being basically chattel. I mean, don't forget, guys, and I know you know this, but like out there in Radioland, this is so close to when the feminist movement really started. That whole rule of thumb thing is still out there. You know, it's it's just this is not a good time for women. And yeah, this is a, a very pertinent issue as far as can a spouse rape another spouse because is that woman his property or is she actually a person? There was also a thing that you guys, Mike, you for sure remember, Chris, I don't know, because you're a little bit younger, but this is when a phrase swam into our lives where we were suddenly hearing about date rape. And 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 that was a distinction that was being made. And again, it, it wasn't being made it, – it, it was being made because people were confused. 
<laughs> so, so it was like, because I think now I was, you know, a kid in the seventies, I was, you know, my, you know, I was 12 or something when this episode aired. And so I'd heard about rape and it was something that got talked about on shows and on all in the family. There was a famous episode where Edith, there's an attempted rape and, and it, but in the mind of most people, it was a thing that occurred in a park <laughs> after midnight between two strangers, by a stranger, two strangers. And then, and then, and then it was like, Oh, there's this thing apparently called date rape. So what? It's like, well, you're on a date with someone. And then at a certain point during the date, sex happens. And then later it turns out that the girl didn't want that sex to happen. Like this is the conversation that would be going on in 1978 about date rape. And you're like, whoa, that's weird. And, and, and it was still sort of balanced on the premise that people weren't sure if it was really rape. Cause it's like, well, but you said you'd go out with the guy, right? So. And then you started making out with him. People who were not misogynist monsters were like the men on Barney Miller, except for Bojo, who is a misogynist monster, were, would grapple with this. So, so this is not that far in the rearview mirror. This is 50 years ago. The first case of uh, marital rape becoming a crime was 1975. So this three years prior, the first time it was outlawed was in South Dakota in 1975. It was still legal in many states. It wasn't until 1993 that North Carolina became the last state in the union to outlaw it. So you've got a long window in there. So at this point in New York City, I, I don't know when spousal rape became illegal in New York. So it might have very well had still been legal. This could, I mean, this is a very much a topic of the day. So they were right there with this one. Which is interesting given that what you mentioned, Richard, about all in the family, they didn't go that route with this episode, which I think speaks to the people who wrote this show is that instead of going, well, they brought Wentworth back and Wentworth got raped. It's instead it's no, let's have this, Again, without the laugh track, like you said, Richard, without the laugh track, it is kind of an interesting look at the topic. With the laugh track, it's an abomination. In a way, the, the most disappointing but the absolute inevitable part of the story is the conclusion. They, they, they have to kind of steer the story back into the middle of the road. Oh, boy, don't they. By by making it less about a crime of violence and an actual assault and more about how people are treated within a marriage over the course of years. And, 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 and it sort of suddenly becomes a story about bringing the romance back into sexual encounters and and w- which in a weird way is the most distasteful part of the entire episode. Oh, me. yeah. Yep, the ending is indefensible. Uh, oh, they, well, we're going to go and we'll talk it out. And the husband is just like completely detached and he's just repeating what she's saying. Like, oh my God, what is this fucking nightmare of a show all of a sudden? Because the laugh track is bad, but the ending is just, well, it's, it's because worse. again, it's almost like the, the language 
didn't exist or the or or even the the sort of the the logic the, the mindset the logic didn't exist yeah. to to actually follow through with the premise so they again they had to sort of course correct and and make it about okay the next time you want sex how about putting on a record and lighting a few candles before just like how Lyndon does man comb that mustache just like how Lyndon does and and by the way like but that's a different story like like you could tell that story with fish and his wife you know and and but it wouldn't start with you raped me last night it would start with you're not it's like it's valentine's day and you didn't you you the romance has gone out of our marriage you're no romeo like that's essentially like the solution to I'm a guy who is capable of and inclined to assault my wife. And the solution to that is poetry, man. That's, that is very hard to reconcile even on the page nowadays. I would not say the, these two parts don't fit. Let's put it that way. There's no, this as Wojo would say. No. And what's really unfortunate about this episode, frankly, more than, you know, the the way they handle – I mean, just about as bad as they handle the rape, is you have other actors who are here in B and C plots. Because for some reason, they didn't just have the entire episode be about the – you know, what happened in the A plot. It's like, oh, no, we have to have Dick Baldazzi here as well who comments on it for whatever reason. And Harvey Gold too. Like, these these poor actors got drug into this episode. And like it's a sh- it's that's a shame, really, because the B and C plots don't even need to be here, frankly. But 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 here's the weird thing: I guarantee you, th- everyone involved in this, and and this is not, I'm not casting aspersions because uh, things change, and that's sure. a good. Oh thing. yeah. So things things that we take for granted now were not taken for granted then, but. I don't think anyone felt bad about this episode or felt that they were taking the easy way out. I think everyone felt like we're, we should all get a fucking badge for even bringing up the fact that this takes place. And I don't think anyone felt like they were, they were not sticking the landing with the landing they stuck. Would it have been the end of the world to actually give this a satisfying ending? Like have her say, nah, rotten hell, bye. Like would there, what, what would have been the repercussions? I guess is my question because yeah, I know that, but outside Comedy of he would have suffered. I know, I know, <laughs> and the problem is, is like it's just not like then in my then in my humble idiotic opinion, it's not funny to begin with. It's like you're trying to mine comedy from something that's just not funny. So many of these episodes end up with the reconciliation. I think that's part of the thing with Barney is. So few of these people either go to Bellevue on a banana or they or they make up and they go their own ways. They go home together. You know how many like husbands and wives we've seen get back together on this goddamn show? It's not even surprising. Yeah. Right. And at the time, it was perfectly legal to have consensual, non-consensual sex with your wife in New York at the time. Hmm. Three years after this episode aired is when it became illegal. Just. Jesus. There you go. So there's your in New York, just to answer your question from before, Mike. I've been reading a book, Pictures at a Revolution by Mark Harris, which is about the five movies that were nominated for the Best Picture Academy Award in 1967 and how they represented different sort of pieces of how Hollywood was changing. Because you had The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde sort of as sort of these avant-garde movies 
Dr. Doolittle was the holdover from old Hollywood. And, and in the middle were these two Sidney Poitier movies, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and In the Heat of the Night. And so a lot of what was talked about in the book was how, while at the time it was cutting edge, it, it was already becoming problematic having Sidney Poitier always play the most unobjectionable African-American character you could ever possibly imagine in whatever situation he happened to be in. And at the time, it was like in this episode, it was considered like, hey, we are, we're hitting race head on. The solution, of course, was the racist Southern sheriff in, in the heat of the night becomes, you know, finds that he has grudging respect for the most perfect human being in the world who also happens to be black. That was considered a unacceptable ending for a story, which was a white person learns that you can't always judge a book by the cover because sometimes black people are good people. That that was ultimately the lesson learned in, in the heat of the night. And now the lesson learned here is, hey, every once in a while, don't rape your wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put on a record. Put and on a some record music or some and, candles. Yeah. Like learn about foreplay as if these two things are, are somehow. And, and I, I think I think the idea now is that it jumped the track because it what it's not talking about is violence. To to correctly end this story in a way that that makes sense for us nowadays would be to say, dude, you committed a violent crime. Therefore, that's the thing that needs to get dealt with, not not the moors of romance. You attacked someone and that cannot happen under any circumstance ever because it is a crime. And and what we want is we want her to say that. We want her to say, I was cool with you up until you physically attacked me and now I can never trust you again. So I'm actually going to go move in with my sister and begin divorce proceedings. And I am going to charge you with assault and our marriage is over. And that's the end of this episode of Barney Miller. Hard to get comedy out of that. So maybe biting off more than they could chew. I mean, I know that there are versions you can now, I think with that, what the martini said or whatever from uh, MASH, you can turn off the laugh track, which I bought it just to do that because I want to go back and do a full rewatch of MASH with no laugh track. I wish that there was an option for that with Barney Miller because to your point, had we had no laugh track, this episode would still be uncomfortable, but it'd be uncomfortable for the right reasons rather than the wrong reasons. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not even – and I'm not saying any more than I think any of us are that don't have an episode about a show that covers a uncomfortable topic. Frankly, use your platform to talk about something uncomfortable, but man, your jokes with Harris ogling the assistant DA don't really land very well when you're also talking about spousal rape. So it's just it's like it's weird to me because there should no be no B plot, there should be no C plot, and there should be no laugh track. And I think that would probably not fix it, but it would make strides to actually taking the subject seriously, as opposed to a woman saying that her husband raped her, and the audience goes <laughs> like, "What the fucking shit?" No, without the laugh track, it's almost almost it verges on 
an episode that might have been, you know, kind of forward thinking, a little trend setting, really. But with that laugh track, it's just, just, it's real bad. And the end again, the ending in and of itself is its own big problem. But the laugh track makes up a bigger issue than I think even the ending does. The ending is less surprising. That's just kind of Barney Miller. Like, I'm not surprised by the ending, but I'm disappointed by the laugh track. The, the laugh track is, is, is having sand rubbed in your eyes. Mm-hmm. Your, Lemon your juice in the wound. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but there was one. There was one joke that got close to hitting the nail on the head. It wasn't in that storyline. It was that sort of sub storyline between Harris and the 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 played as very attractive and was very attractive uh, female uh, assistant to district attorney. He he sort of does a double take or something, and she's like, "Are you surprised? You know that I'm the." district attorney they sent and he's like you don't look like the other district attorneys i've seen and she's like you don't look like the other harrises i've met and, and i'm like oh is that like is that like hey you know a female district attorney at this point is not that much rarer than an african american police detective acknowledge that we're both here only by the good grace of whatever you know enlightenment our society has reached by 1978 and i was like oh that's interesting are they going to keep going with that but then they kind of didn't that was kind of the one joke and instead they went the other way which is i'm a bit of a hound dog for that well-dressed woman and then she gives into it at the end she's like i'll buy you lunch right Right. drop by i'll buy you lunch and it's like oh okay so all right well Love and romance in 1978 in New York City, I guess, uh, you know. That's- Juxtaposed against spousal rape. Like, great. Barney Miller just- Well, but, but I mean, go watch, go rewatch Saturday Night Fever. Oh, boy, yeah. I mean, that's another one that, like, if you haven't seen it recently, you go back and watch that, you're like, oh, shit. I mean, literally just casually forcing sex on people who don't want it. That was a thing. And it was not- clear to everyone involved that it was always 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 not okay revenge of the nerds i mean that's a movie that people like go there's a fucking straight up rape like great like and it's just like ah, it's like not funny at all aged poorly (laughs) if you have sex with a woman who thinks you're somebody else but you're wearing a mask at the time that's uh that's that's, yeah yeah Yeah. or if you you know if your girlfriend is super drunk and uh you just like hand her over to the local nerd while you're more interested in molly ringwald also rape yeah the whole get her drunk thing through the 80s is absolutely in play as comedy fodder what i did like about this episode was that they were they did bring out the law like there was like okay here's what the law says here is the actual letter to the law as it stands right now which i didn't know and was interesting and mike you, sort of you bringing in real life uh, context is great because I, even i even though i knew like sort of emotionally something was going wrong here in this episode I did not know the letter of the law in New York City at the time this episode was airing, which is really interesting. And I'm glad they brought that in because it's like part of part of what the writer was doing was saying, just so you know, guys, this actually is a gray area. So if you don't like that, maybe do something about it. Don't kill the messenger. Barney Miller episode. Uh, Which is why it's so weird that there's a fucking laugh track. Like, why include the laugh? Like, why couldn't a cop show be serious? Just for one episode. Like, why not? I I don't understand. 
they dropped the laugh track on the Edith Bunker uh, gets raped episode. See what I mean? Like it's the precedent has been set already. Like why not do it? Why not? What what's what what is the worst that could happen? Nobody watches that episode. Guess what? Nobody should watch the episode anyways. Definitely now. This is one of the episodes of the show I would say there is absolutely no reason for anyone to watch it. Like what it what can be garnered from this? Well, what can be garnered is this conversation. Sure, but but I like look if you're I'm I'm talking to the college student who's in the critical studies uh, American sitcoms of the seventies and what they say now. It's it is interesting, and I know like by the way, there I was talking about Thirty Rock. Apparently, there are four. I think four Thirty Rock episodes that have been pulled from everything. Because of characters in blackface. Yeah, that sounds about right. And, and, and we're not, not one episode where Jenna puts on blackface because she wants attention. There's four of them. So they, they've traded in that a lot, apparently. And my feeling is mixed on these because, like, I'm all for trigger warnings and I'm all for running the disclaimer that says – Hi, everyone. My name's Tina Fey. <laughs> There's an episode that seemed like a great idea in 2008, which now seems a little ill-advised. We used blackface. So if you don't want to see that, don't watch this episode. If you want to discuss blackface in the history of comedy, that's another discussion. Welcome to this episode. Things should get talked about. This episode is uncomfortable to watch. It's upsetting that laughs. but it did take place within our lifetimes and it, the complexity of the subject was fully acknowledged within the episode. It was not quote unquote played solely for laughs. I will say that. I do wonder then why they included the laugh track. If F other shows had done it without, I wonder, I wonder if they were sitting there, if Danny Arnold was sitting there in the writer's room and just, it's a network decision. Somebody it, probably I, I said, should we include the laugh track? And somebody else said, yeah, and somebody else said, I don't know about that. I mean, there's got to be some pushback. Otto Bruno's book hopefully covers it. I would hope Otto's book covers this in hey, some respect. If, if if there's a story behind it, I would love mm-hmm. to hear that story. Oh, yeah. I, I know Ken Levine, who was one of the writers and then eventual showrunners with his partner, David Isaacs, on MASH. And he talks all the time about how Larry Gelbart, the original showrunner and, and you know co-creator of the show – begged the network CBS to have no laugh track on any part of the show ever and fought them to a draw where they could suspend the laugh track during the operating room scenes. So there, there, so from episode one to episode last, there are no laughs in those scenes, but then outside of the operating room, there is a laugh track in almost every episode. There might've been one or two exceptions. That being said, tells you it was a big network thing. Networks really, really like dollars and cents wanted. It would it would almost be like asking a network not to air any commercials during. Sure. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, what do you think we're doing here? No. So it was a big deal. This was not a cre- – in other words, this was not up to the creator oh, to no. decide whether oh, they wanted no. a laugh track or not. It was a network decision and networks were not – uh, willing to let sure. Go I just wonder how yeah. much pushback there was. I, that I would love to know. Yeah. The last time I remember them showing something without commercials was Schindler's List, and it was still sponsored. 
you know it was sponsored by Apple or whatever, which would be ironic. <laughs> Very goddamn, that would be ironic. Horrible, horrible irony. What do you think of these three episodes, Richard? Since you only come on once a season, what did you think of these three episodes? What do you think of this fourth season of Barney Miller? Well, I'm a huge fan of Barney Miller. It's actually one of my favorite shows. I've seen all the episodes numerous times. I own the series on DVD. I've watched it for pleasure within, from beginning to end within the last five years. Uh, so revisiting episodes sort of out of context is always interesting. I would, I would say that, that the rape episode, which we have now discussed pretty thoroughly, notwithstanding that these episodes I enjoyed, I would say they are mid-level. They are not among, again, rape notwithstanding, they are not my least favorite episodes, which I think would collect more toward the beginning of the series run. They are not among my favorite episodes, which I think if you graft might fall into upcoming episodes. But these are good sort of mid-series Thursday night, let's watch uh, Barney Miller. I'd say they are all in the good to slightly good plus uh, grouping. Tonight's showing, sponsored by Ford Motor Company, will air without commercial interruptions. NBC Enterprise President John Agiola said last week that it was the first time that so lengthy a film, three and a half hours, would be shown on primetime network television without commercials. Ford will air a special made 60-second ad before and after the broadcast. That's from 1997 when they showed Schindler's List on NBC. Oh, no! Yeah. For real? Yeah. For reals. Yikes, man. Somebody don't know their history too well. <laughs> Yikes. Hey, couldn't, couldn't they have gotten Volkswagen? Right, yeah. Uh, now presented by Ford and Volkswagen. Great. Wow. Crazy, right? and, the US and the U.S. government, specifically NASA and other defense contractors. Guys, I swear to God, that was a joke. I believe you. My I, believe I believe you. It. I believe you. I believe it. <laughs> The fact that that's real is is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, and I didn't see anything in that article from the Washington Post that talked about the irony of Ford being the ones to present. I think that um, – I can't remember the latest Ford who's in charge of stuff, but I they have definitely – owned up to that and they're trying to fix the reputation but and that was probably one of their first uh, acts of penance was this special hosted by mel gibson yeah right. oh god mother of god in heaven. <laughs> what you're about to see is a work of fiction it's not real unlike the passion of the christ a factually real film 100 <laughs> percent real that's why they shot in aramaic right. factual truth from from the real documents gathered at the time before we talked, you know, on this episode about the show, I would say, Mike, we were trending in a direction of like, the show is really hitting its stride. Oh, and yeah. I'm yeah. going to continue to say it really is. Like, again, the rape episode notwithstanding, Appendicide is pretty good. Ghost, pretty good. The rape episode, the laugh track and the ending being what they are, still got to – it's kind of ballsy to do an episode about it. My prediction is that you guys will – like, your opinion of the show will just continue trending upward. But, you know, we'll see. I so love coming on like once every Barney Miller season 
just to kind of check in with you guys and see where you are with the show and and where the show is with the show. And it's always fun to rewatch episodes. So if you guys, uh, you know, uh, I, I would I would love it if I got another invitation to uh, join you in season five. And you probably will. And just think next time you're on, Jack Sue will no longer be on the show. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because that's what in between four and five, right? Or sometime early on in season five. Never to truly be replaced by a new cast member. So the Jack Sue retrospective would play at the end of the next season. Okay, so the end of the fifth season? Yes, but I don't think he's on the show anymore in the later fifth season. I forget when Jack Sue passes away, but I'm pretty sure it's like, it seems to be about halfway through the season. Well, you'll get there and it'll be, you know, there'll be a lot to cover. So be heartbreaking. And we'll be crying our eyes out. I have to say one big disappointment, Chris, with all three of these episodes, no Luger. No Luger. Yeah. Where's James? <laughs> Man, can you imagine James Gregory walking in on this? Bonnie. What are you saying, Bonnie? Ooh. This husband did this to his wife. Like, you, oh, oh, time to leave, know. James Gregory. Time to leave. He would his character would not have been a welcome voice oh. in this episode. Throw Scanlan in and there, I get Scanlan it. in there too. Ooh. Oh, well, I mean, Scanlan isn't even I mean, you don't even, you know He's he's a he's a reoccurring character. He is. I mean Right, but I mean like there's no question, but Luger who can sort of like vacillate between the two, yeah. Vacillate like like, oh, it was great to hear him. Yeah, I'm glad we did not get his oh take. Good God in heaven. That is a take I do not want. I want to thank everybody for listening to the episode. I especially want to thank John Walker for our theme song. And Richard Haddam, thank you so much for stopping by. It was great having you. Thank you so much for having me. I love dropping in on uh, the 12th Precinct. If folks want to help support the show, go on out to iTunes or wherever you get it and leave us a rating and review. That would be great. And until then, we will see you at the 12th Precinct next time talking about eviction part one and two and finding out what Wojo's problem is in an episode directed by the one and only Max Gale. Mm -hmm.